Hi, welcome to B-Side Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White, joined today by Dr. Carol Fike, Dr. Brian Lubers, and Dr. Philip Lancaster. Good morning. Morning, Good morning Brad. Brad. Morning. Happy to have you guys with us. And Dr. Fike is here on faculty in the Kansas State University Department of Animal Sciences. And so we'll have her share some information with us today. And we're going to talk about a couple things. One of them, how, how do we get students that are interested in animal science, how do we get them set up for that career? And maybe even thinking about if they want to move on to veterinary school or not, what are some of the things that you could talk to with your high school students or your college students about what she sees in that program that's successful? We'll also talk some about some of the new technologies in the repro world, including Sexsema and IVF, where those are being used. And we're going to discuss one of the outcomes of that, which has been having some of the beef calves born from dairy cattle. We're going to wrap up with uh, talking about how do we know if our cows are matched to us. Before we get into that, Brian, I know everybody's on pins and needles waiting to hear that you had tried the new smoked meat. How did it turn out? Yeah, so uh, the the smoked chub of bologna, um, it, it was fine. Um, Maybe, That's a glowing endorsement, Brian. Yeah, maybe, maybe potentially a little oversold. But um, if you like bologna, um, it I would definitely recommend trying it. Um, just season it up, smoke it for a few hours. Um, but yeah, if if you expect it to st- taste like a a uh, choice ribeye, you'd probably be a little disappointed. Yeah, but see, at our house, that might work because our our second grader. So we're sitting around last night. And we're talking about you know the last few days we have been eating really well. We had tacos, we had spaghetti, we had steak. We're saying, man, this was this was excellent. And our second grader said, Dad, you forgot. We also cooked hot dogs on the fire outside. That was his highlight out of all those meals. He's like, yeah, but we had hot dogs too. So, yeah, if, if you like campfire hot dogs, probably you probably would like the, the smoked bologna. Oh, this was our record. We only lost one dog in the fire. <laughs> So we are getting much, we are getting much, much better. So excellent. Well, Carol, we're happy to have you with us today. And I introduced you a little bit. You, you may tell us just a little bit about you and then let's, let's jump in. Uh, thanks, uh, Brad. Um, I'm Carol Fike, a faculty member in the Department of Animal Sciences and Industry here at Kansas State University and um, been in various roles here at Kansas State in this department for upwards of 15, 16 years, I think it is now. Um, And in the more recent years, I I have a high percentage teaching appointment. So I do a lot of teaching, undergraduate repro, a career preparations course, work with our internship program, uh, help manage and facilitate our feedlot boot camp program. And and so, you know, work with and advise students and then also do some research in um, just general uh, data management and uh, factors that affect uh, calf value and, and beef cattle reproduction. So that's kind of my, my background in history. Excellent. We appreciate you joining us today. And you've got a wealth of experience because I know I've worked with you and some of the students that come over and have done mock interviews for veterinary school. You do a, a good job preparing them for that process, as well as just students coming into animal science. And, and I guess I may start out with a question for you is, and, and I think a lot of our listeners would be interested. What do you what do you see as the opportunities out there for someone coming into getting a degree in animal science 
as far as career options go? Well, I, I would say there, there's tremendous opportunity. Um, you know, in, in, in being in this kind of role, not only here, but um, years back at Ohio State University, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a natural, it, it, it's natural for students and, and their families probably to think of the limitation of animal sciences being animal health. Because I think, uh, you know, most people, if they have you know, contact or experience in the animal world, a lot of times it's with their pets um, and, um, you know, with a veterinarian and, and seeing that, um, that career path that's very important in our society and very well respected. And so, um, and, and there's tremendous opportunity in that realm. But if you think about that aspect, just being animal health, then um, there's also animal nutrition, there's animal behavior, there's genetics, both the, the food animal and the companion animal side. There's people involved, like we're doing the podcast here today, in communications and marketing. Um, and, uh, uh, and so, uh, a lot of times, the young people that... Um, investigate opportunities from a career path standpoint, maybe have a limited perspective on what all can be done. But then once we get here, once I get here, I think it's our job and even before they get here to help them recognize, um, you know, all the opportunities that exist, both with, you know, companion animals as well as, as food animals and in terms of careers and and, uh, and where they can do internships, and then that can lead to careers. And, and so that's part of what I try to facilitate and work with our young people and our prospective students to, to understand. Lots of opportunities in the animal ag world. They don't all have to be science or communications or business or any one aspect, because just like, just like any other area, there's lots of places they could go. And I know, Brian, you've worked with some pre-veterinary students and some students that have been in veterinary school if they're thinking that route is there anything that you would that you would tell them as they're going through either undergraduate or high school sure i think you know obviously veterinary medicine is a is a very science-based profession and so um when you get to starting your i'll start with undergrad first brad you know when you start your undergraduate career just make sure that you're on track there are lot Different schools have different requirements, but there are lots of prerequisites for um, for veterinary education, and so and they will be heavy into the science, math. Um, so just make sure you're on track to do that, so you have everything completed when you're ready to start applying for veterinary school. And for most students, that'll be uh, at least three years. Uh, the majority of our students will come in already having their bachelor's degree, so four years of undergraduate education. But then. You know, even even in high school, if that's a career that you're thinking about, um, obviously your your class load in high school is fairly set. But if you've got chance to take some extra science electives, that's great. But really start getting that experience. And I think for our listeners, Brad, you know, this is we we've talked before about having ag tell our story. You know, this is kind of one way that ag can tell their story in a very one-on-one -on -one basis, right? So I, I would say we are starting to see a lot more veterinary students that don't have that farm background. And, and I'll, I was one of them, to be honest, you know, we moved away from the family farm when I was in high school. 
Um, and so, you know, I had some experience, but needed to come back and gain a little more. And so I think for our listeners, you know, when a high school student approaches you and, and asks about gaining some experience with animal agriculture, uh, that's a great way to tell your story. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that, that Carol, you were talking about. And I wanted to come back to, because you mentioned the feedlot boot camp. And I've talked to several of our students here at K-State and, man, that is really popular. They really get a lot out of that. Tell us a little bit about that program. Yeah, so the, the Speedlot Boot Camp program is one that started um, just just during the middle of our third year of the program. And, and this the, the brainchild behind this was really uh, Dr. Pete Anderson with uh, Midwest PMS, a feedlot dairy nutrition, uh, just general consulting um, business. And But there's, there's lots of industry supporters for this program. And but if, if you look at the, the overarching goal of the program was, is, you know, to um, facilitate and develop student interest and understanding about the feedlot industry and the opportunities that exist uh, therein. And so in, in January of, uh, uh, we just finished the, this past January, the third year of the program, and we limit it to 20 students, but students apply and are selected to be part of the program. And they go through a three and a half day boot camp where we're actually at some feedlots in Western Kansas. It's we're kind of based out of Garden City and and uh, go to some nearby feedlots and, uh, and and there's classroom time and, and, and learn about um, actually at the site from um, those feedlot managers and people integrally involved in those industries about um, you know, animal health, um, nutritional management, risk management, um, and they're immersed in that program for three, uh, three and a half days solid. Um, we uh, then try to facilitate participation in a, in a summer or fall internship, and, and those students that go through uh, the boot camp, um, there's also some other expectations in between. We have another animal health day, a half a day program down at Tiffany, Tiffany Cattle Company, just south of Manhattan here. Um, but they see those through and complete it and, and participate in an internship in the summer as well with our um, with with feedlot managers that are interested in, in hosting interns. Um, then they can earn a $2,500 scholarship and. We uh, just this past uh, this past group, we had 18 students that participated, and 100% of those in the off the heels of the boot camp said they were interested in pursuing an internship. And we have, I think, 10 of those 18 that are placed and are actually doing summer internships right now at feedlots. And so, you know, they really, you know, they maybe hear about, have misconceptions, misunderstandings about what opportunities exist in terms of establishing a career in. Uh, in the beef industry in general, but specifically in the feedlot industry, and and they really get firsthand um, meaningful interaction and conversation and learning at a at a deeper level through the boot camp and through the internship, and and then hopefully that translates into to establishing uh, some longer term careers in in those areas that they they have a high demand for 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 good young people that um, that want to be managers and and uh and help uh, sustain that industry well i think there's a lot of opportunities out there and that's what i'm what i'm hearing from both you and and brian is as we as you think about it for young people coming into the industry get that experience and it's valuable either way 
you may decide, hey, I really like something or I really don't like it and get that experience and get a breadth of experience so that you can go through your go through your and sort out the right career for you. And that may change over time. I suspect if you'd have asked any of us when we were in college, do you think we'll be sitting here right now? We might have said no. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's you, you never know where it's going to take you, but build that experience. And I think that's an excellent program that you that you've got there, Carol. And I'm, well, I, I think uh, I think, you know, exactly what you talk about. You know, some people have their goals outlined as far as their career. And I think that's great. But, you know, for example, if you wanted to be in sales and marketing with an animal health company, um, the credibility of understanding beef cattle production from a cow calf or a feedlot standpoint is going to come because you've done those internships and have have experiences, even if you end up in sales and marketing, for example. And so um, really, and, and I think, you know, to some of your listeners out there, if they have the opportunity to mentor young people, we have a, a high percentage of people in our programs that, that haven't had the opportunity to gain uh, you know, large animal food animal experience and, and want to and are interested in that. But um, maybe they're starting a little bit more from the ground level in terms of in terms of gaining that experience, but um, can be part of our agriculture industries and our food animal industries um, going forward if they have the opportunity to grow and learn when they're in high school and into college. All of us, all of us started somewhere, and even folks that grew up on an operation grew up on an operation, not multiple, and they're all a little bit different. I think, as you mentioned, kind of keeping up and things things progress and change. And one of the things I wanted to visit with you about is some of the new technologies that we think about in in reproduction. And we have said for years, uh, things like sex semen and IVF are coming and they're going to come to the industry and we're going to get those technologies and we're going to get them to work. Are they still coming or are they here? They're here. They're here and they've been here. And, uh, um, you know, I think, you know, whether you see, you know, continued increases in adoption, I think it's going to, you know, depend on the, uh, I, I think you will see that, but people have to, to evaluate, you know, what's the return on investment. Um, in those programs. And so, but, you know, for example, sex semen, I think, uh, um, you know, in the very, very highly adopted in the dairy industry um, uh, as preference for heifers and, and uh, the lack of preference for male offspring. Um, and uh, so in more recent years, then that has been replaced by, um, you know, we would prefer, prefer to use, um, beef cattle semen in some of our dairy animals that we don't want to necessarily interested in perpetuating the genetics to produce more dairy heifers. Um, so we would um, use um, female sorted semen to produce dairy heifers, but then maybe male sorted beef semen to um, produce um, um, half beef, half dairy, or even maybe using embryo transfer to put actual beef cattle embryos into dairy cows, and that's contributing to our beef supply. Um, and that's, that's significantly changed um, in terms of the proportion of the industry that are adopting and using those technologies um, in recent years. And so thinking about this, Carol, I, traditionally I always think of these things as, as technologies for the seed stock industry because the, the value of that 
one animal that you get from sex semen or IVF is a lot higher than the, than the animal you get in a commercial operation. But do these technologies pay off and work for, for a commercial operation? Well, I, I think they can, but I, I would very much hesitate to say that, yes, blanket statement, they will pay off. I think there's so much you have to consider about, you know, for example, you know, the use of sex semen in the commercial industry. Um, you know, we, we know that the fertility of sex-sorted semen is, is not, it, uh, on average, I think it's about, uh, about 10% lower conception rate of a sex-sorted sample of semen uh, 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 compared to conventional. And that, that has to do, you know, with a couple different reasons, just the actual sorting process um, and then also um, can be related to the, to the dosage, the actual sperm numbers that are in a dose of semen. But that said, um, you can recoup a greater value, for example, of using male-sorted semen um, it, because you're producing calves that are going into um, uh, being sold as feeder calves or going into the, to the feedlot industry, you know, the, the improvements in gain and feed efficiency and average daily gain in general of a, of a bull calf or a steer calf relative to a heifer, there's, there's, there's value there. And so, you know, what is your, what is your marketing strategy? How are you already set up in terms of maybe using AI in your program? Uh, you know, those all have to be, I think, considered, but I think uh, it, it's certainly a technology to be weighed out and, and considered um, be, because it is, it is a valuable technology that's been adopted in the, in, the, in the seed stock industry by some. But I think there's, there can be value in the, in, the, in the commercial industry. But I think people have to look at that on an individual basis and, and what's the potential return on investment. Yeah, I, I think just my experience with, with sex semen, um, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of people tried to implement it early, not understanding it was a more intensive management practice. Um, and so I think, I think as a technology, it, it kind of started out on the wrong foot, but I think if, if somebody goes into it, understanding that, you know, it's not just something you put into an operation, but if, if you're able to make some of those uh, more intensive management changes about, you know, about how you're going to synchronize, how you're going to, you know, all those things that you need to think about, it, it can actually be successfully implemented into a, a commercial operation. And it, it seems to me that maybe some of the ways to get it to pay off is think about the genetics of the semen that you're going to use where you, you could capture value by using a different genetic line of animals or even a different breed that would let you capture value you couldn't, couldn't get by using a natural sire or a um, conventional semen. Well, and even that next, that next level of you've got the value genetically in the gender that you want. Right. So it's either in a heifer, I've got my maternal genetics in a heifer or I've got my carcass genetics in a steer and I can I can make that work. Whereas before, if I'm picking out non-sex semen, um, yes, I have good genetics, but it may not be the same across genders. So I think that that gives you some value in both sex semen. And we talked a little bit about IVF or in vitro fertilization. 
uh, or a lot of people will talk about embryo transfer or moving that. They shorten that generational interval. What are, what are the impacts of that process? We had Dr. Borman on, uh, if you want to listen to last week's podcast, and she talks about genomic testing and the importance of records. But here, they're even more important, and we're shortening that generational interval. What does that mean for our commercial producers? Well, I think, you know, one of the things is, is you know, and, and I think these are only going to continue to improve in terms of, um, you know, what our, what our abilities are in terms of genomic testing, you know, for example, of embryos. And so we can know the potential genetic value of the embryo before we even decide whether we're going to put that embryo into, into a female or not. And so we can, we can do our genetic sorting. Uh, in terms of improvement in the traits that, of interest, um, you know, prior to even producing that live, that live calf. Um, and so when, when, we can, when we can do that, um, then we have a, a much shorter turnaround time of um, making those selection decisions and, and making those improvements in those traits of interest. And so that's happening at the seed stock level. Um, then at the commercial level, our, our access to those improved genetics is, uh, is, is, is much, much, again, much shorter turnaround time than it, than it used to be. And I think that's only going get, to get better and better um, in, in terms of uh, improvements or potential improvements in the overall industry. But an individual producer knowing what, what is their goal? What is, what is their, what are the, what's important to them? What are their outcomes um, in making those decisions based on what their marketing and production program is about? It's not a one size fits all kind of technology or set of traits that we're interested in producing. That leads right into my next topic that I wanted to talk about. And I know we talked beef, beef, calves from dairy cattle and we'll come back to that topic on a different day but i want to i want to dive in just because you set this up perfectly carol each operation is different and one of the things that we hear a lot is be sure your cows are matched to your environment and this plays into this genetic discussion that we just had relative to selection but i want to ask you guys somebody says to me be sure your cows are matched to your environment and i say yep that sounds good how do I know if they're matched to my environment or not? How, what would I look at to determine I have a good match? Well, well, I can, go ahead, go Philip. ahead, Brian. Well, I, I can, <laughs> <laughs> Philip, go ahead. All right. Well, I can, I can jump in with some, some things to think about from a nutrition standpoint. Um, just for, you know, if we're thinking about an environment, generally from a nutrition standpoint, we're thinking about how much grass I'm producing and, and how much feed, supplemental feed I need. So, you know, if, if I have got cows that have um, too much milking ability for the quality of forage I can produce at the, at the right time of year during that peak lactation, and I have to spend um, a large amount of money on supplemental feed to keep those cows in good condition and, and rebreed at an acceptable um, pregnancy rate, then then I would say that I probably have cows that are not matched to my environment very well. Um, and so, and then from another, another perspective to think a little bit from a, uh, 
nutrition is the maintenance requirement of that cow. So if I, I want to wean a, a certain percentage of my cow's body weight, that's one way to compare this is looking at what percentage of the cow's weight does, it, does that cow wean. Um, and, and if I can't produce enough milk to wean an acceptable percentage, then I may need to, to think about my cows have more maintenance than they, ha than they have milking ability. And so I'm putting a lot of cost into that maintenance or that requirement of that cow and not getting a whole lot of output from her. One thing I might throw in, Philip, before Brian jumps in, plus the stocking rate. And we had a discussion on stocking rate yesterday. So you could have cows matched to the environment, but not stocked at the right rate. So for this discussion, let's assume I'm stocked at the right rate. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I let Philip go first because his answer was a lot better than mine. Um, <laughs> I think... I mean, I think, you know, and it's probably my answer is going to be just as generic as the question, which is matching cows to your environment is, you know, everything tends to show up in efficiency and performance, right? But you can, I don't know if I can answer how do you know if they are, but I think they're, you know, we think about extreme examples where they're not, right? And so, you know, they're, you know, we have breeds of cattle that are more heat tolerant than others. And so we don't, typically see those cows put in cold weather environments because they perform better in warm environments. Right. And we, and we vice versa, um, you know, and, the, and similarly is, is feeding efficiency, even, even cows on pasture, right. It's not, we don't, we don't see large dairy breed cows out on pasture because they're just not very efficient. And so I think that the answer to it is if, is if you don't feel like, efficiency and performance are being maximized, then maybe, maybe genetics are one thing you'd go back and look at to, to, we talked about the optimal intermediate, right? With Dr. Borman, right? So we, it's probably not just efficiency is the only thing we're looking at, but, but there might be some areas to improve there. Carol, think, what are your thoughts? Yeah. You know, I think if you look at, look at the industry, you know, from a seed stock standpoint, made tremendous gains and selection pressure for our growth traits. Um, but relative to um, the genetic capability in our growth traits, um, we, haven't, we haven't seen um, the same corresponding change in actual weaning weights, for example, relative to um, the, the, the corresponding genetic change in weaning weight capability. And so you know, thinking about things again, like, like stocking rate, like, um, you know, it ties back into our technologies of, you know, we're selecting on weaning weight. We're also, and when we're a commercial producer and we're, we've got a portion of our calves, you know, going to the sale barn, um, we're going into the feedlot, but then we're also retaining those heifer calves and we're making bigger calves um, that, that are retained in the industry, retained in our production operation, then that, that changes our stocking rate. That changes our uh, amount of, you know, with the same, same amount of a land resource. And so, um, you know, I guess all of this stuff really kind of ties together nicely in terms of overall economic efficiency. You know, how we use that term, we're talking about economic efficiency, feed efficiency, um, you know, there, there's differences there. And so I think to me at bottom line, and it's not easy, but it comes down to what, what is your particular situation? How are you marketing your calves? 
what do you know you have in terms of of known genetics and performance and how you communicate that to your customers, whether that's you're retaining ownership and you're working with a feedlot, whether you're selling calves at the sale barn and knowing what you want to do in the context of your own operation and your own environment and, and having that, having that clearly kind of defined and, and then adapting to, you know, what changes come your way um, and, and making decisions based on those kinds of things. What an excellent observation, though, Carol. Where you say because the way the way you tie those two topics together, it is the the technologies allow us, especially something like sex semen or ET embryo transfer, let us have a terminal herd and a maternal herd on the same operation. Whereas you you can't do that if I'm trying to get the best growth characteristics, then all of a sudden my cows get big. If I'm trying to get the best maternal characteristics, my calves don't grow as well. So wrapping those two topics together, you have to figure out your plan, but there's unlikely to ever be a plan where I can have the best of both worlds unless I apply some of those technologies. So we've really appreciated your insight and appreciated you joining us today. Uh, We thank you for all that you do for the students as well. And as, as we know, that's a really important part of all of our jobs. And I think keeping their eyes open to those different experiences is important. So if you have questions, topics, things you'd like us to talk about on a future episode, you can always send us an email at bci at ksu.edu.